What is an actual worldview? A worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. It is a comprehensive concept of the world from a specific point of view. I said that based upon your experiences and, and what you've encountered in life, how you view the world will be shaped around that. So what is your worldview? And is it biblical? Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, as Pastor Martin explains. The world is ever-changing. As I referenced earlier, social and societal norms are shifting. And they're shifting and swaying back and forth, almost like the waves of the sea. Depending on what becomes popular or what's, what becomes broadly accepted, there's shifts in terms of what to believe in what's right or what's wrong. Progressivism, modernism, secularism, are all the dominating voices that we hear. And then this idea of a uh, self-guided, self-expression of who I am and what I am seems to be guiding or seems to be the prevailing wind that's guiding the shifts. A biblical worldview, which is also at times called a Christian worldview, is built upon the framework of the ideas and theology we find in Scripture, which we see in Paul. And Paul says there, he says, listen, that we should be built up based upon the teachings of our faith. And having been built up, we are able to now establish this sense of how should we interact with the world at large. Now, this is interpreted differently in certain cases, but ultimately there are some biblical truths that will help guide and help to inform when it comes to the various different voices you will hear. We're inundated with them. Various mediums we have that are constantly inundating our senses with ideas that are not aligning with Scripture. The world, of, the world view of any person is going to guide or inform their physical, their emotional, their intellectual, and even the spiritual dimensions of their life. The key that we have to understand is that that makes it significant for us to have a biblical worldview because your worldview is going to inform how you interact with the world. So through this series, the goal will be for us to explore and to establish the need to establish and have a biblical worldview, but also not just get one, but to maintain it. Anyone that has a home, you know that you got to maintain it. It's great at the closing, amen? amen? You go in and you signing documents and they're handing you keys and you're taking selfies and we got our new place and we're excited, but after that comes maintenance. And that in order to maintain or sustain that initial excitement and pride, there will be a need to maintain what's there. So a worldview refers to how a person 
It's a comprehensive plan that kind of informs how a person responds to the world around them. So when you think about a worldview, oftentimes uh, when we come into the world, a two-year-old, so let's use a, a, a small child, a one or two-year-old, in their mind, the whole world revolves around. It doesn't matter that you're at the theater and we need to keep quiet, but I don't want that. So, Doesn't matter that you're tired. You had a long week. It's 2 a.m. and I'm hungry. All of these things give us context for when we come into the world, we have a worldview. And then based upon your experiences, you experience the world through that view. And oftentimes that's affected by the experiences that we've had. So the key is having a biblical worldview is essential because we all have some form of a worldview. It is, when you think about it, it the worldview that a person has, it is his or hers way of finding meaning or the means to which they understand reality. Think about someone who's never, I, I experienced this some years ago. We were taking a group of young men from the inner city who had, who had never been outside of Indianapolis. We took them to Chicago so that they could experience some of the fine museums that they had and also uh, the, the zoo that was there. It was a day trip. It surprised me as we were riding along and we're on the highway because I began to see how ecstatic they were about just riding in the van. But it wasn't until I discovered that they had never been outside of the city limits that I understood that their worldview only consisted of their neighborhood that they were in. So as we consider this idea of a worldview. Conversely, a Christian or biblical worldview is based upon this comprehensive concept that we are able to gain from Scripture. So as we consider this idea of it being a need, I want to share with you some research. Recently, the Barner Group, which is a Christian-based research body that has been doing research since 1984. Very well trusted, they do an amazing job. Here, their results. A recent nationwide study done by Barna concluded that there are only 40%, oh, I'm sorry, not 40, only 4% of Americans had a biblical worldview. When Barna then focused their attention on those who were professing born-again believers, that number only increased by 5% to 9. Only 9% of those that they polled had a biblical worldview. Well, you say, Pastor, that's relative. That's subjective because depending on who they are and, and what they were, well, that's why I have given you some of the questions that they asked <laughs> to help determine whether they had a biblical worldview. 
And so here's how the, 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 this portion of the survey began. It says, do you have, it starts by saying, do you have a biblical worldview? So it, the context is given. And then it says, answer the following questions based upon claims from the Bible. Here's a question. Does or do absolute truths exist? The next question. Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Here's another one. Did Jesus live a sinless life? The next one, is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule today? Here's another one. Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is absolute truth, once again, of this reality defined by the Bible? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have any responsibility to share his or her faith with other people? And here's the last one. Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Now, here's something you need to understand. 9% of the people polled answered these with a yes. But these are claims that help to, to define but also inform how you interact and respond to the world around you. Because when you talk about truth, Jesus fixed that problem because he says, I am the way, I am the truth. Everybody's looking for truth. He says, but I am the essence of truth. He says, if you want to understand life, he says, I am the life. But then when you talk about religion, he says, no man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no matter who they are, no man can get to God, my father, unless they come through me. So he answered some critical questions in the Bible. And those questions were asked in the survey. But only 9% answered them all with a yes. So there were varying answers. Some said yes to some and some said no to others. But the understanding here is that this is just a sample of what the Bible teaches. And in order to have a biblical understanding or a biblical worldview, we must embrace these basic truths. And yet there were born again they're confessing or professing born-again Christians who did not accept that. So it's clear we can see there is a need for a biblical worldview. So I'm going to, I'm going to uh, teach this message today through a series of questions. Through a series of questions. And as, as I said earlier, there is a lot of text. And so ultimately, I would encourage you and, and advise you to, to take time and download the sermon notes because you'll have full definitions of everything that I'm covering today. But it's going to be important for you to at least uh, be aware of some of the things that I'm going to show you today based upon the context and text that we're, we're studying today. So here's the first question that we have. What is an actual worldview? What is a worldview? Well, a worldview is the framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. 
It is a comprehensive concept of the world from a specific point of view. I said that based upon your experiences and what you've encountered in life, how you view the world will be shaped around that. Now, there's, a, there's an author who wrote a book entitled uh, Understanding the Times. His name is David Nobel. Here's what David described or defined a worldview to be. He says, it's any ideology, philosophy, theology, movement, or religion that provides an overarching approach to understanding God, the world, and the relationship to man and God, and then also ultimately the world in general. Because there are religious orders that have tackled this idea of worldview, but it is not according to Scripture. So there's an all-out assault on the Bible to discourage the idea that it is God's infallible word, that ultimately that the Holy Spirit was not the author, that he was not inspiring men and working through them to pin down these things. Oftentimes, when someone says, hey, the Bible is not credible, they do that based upon the Bible recording things that when we look at it, they say, man, that was a tragedy. But you need to understand that the Bible is also being true to the fact that the story is between God, this relationship between God and man. And as we know, if you lived in this world long enough, that man can be pretty ugly. So then to write text about man does not include the ugliness of man, then you don't see why we need Jesus. So you missed it. If you only, okay, okay, I know, because we're in a society now that I can only, po I can post the best of me on my Facebook. You know, you get your page, you got a picture, you ain't look like that since. You're on there like, And, 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 and others are scrolling past your post because they don't think that's you. So we only post the best. I'm out with my friends. Things are going well. Living my best life. So the idea that the, the, the sacred text of God would include the ugliness of man only helps to point to the reality of the need for Jesus. Because here's how it describes what you and I do on our best day. It says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Let me help you understand this. I walk into the, the kitchen and I smell something, Sister Joe. It was rank. Didn't know what it was. I'm searching. I'm in the trash. I'm looking around. I said, maybe a mice got in here and died. What is that smell? I make my way over, Dion, to the sink. It's a rag, a dish rag the children and left. And that thing smelled like something crawled into it, died, and died again. <laughs> and then I had a revelation that this is what he said, that this is when we try to earn our way to heaven, when we try to do the things that we cannot do by ourselves, our goodness, our righteousness is just as that smelly rag hanging there on the sink which is now why we realize the need to have Jesus to come. And what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What causes me to be the man I couldn't be before? Nothing but the power of Jesus in me. 
now I begin to understand when I read the ugliness of man in the text, why all when Jesus came along and he said, listen, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill it because the law was intended to change the hearts of the people. But what it became was a rule book for them to just try to figure out how to get around. So he says, I, I can't just give them the law. I've got to put the law in their hearts. That's why you got to be born again to have the Holy Spirit because you have the law of God in your heart and through the Holy Spirit walking to you, talking to you, and guiding you, then you begin to become the man or the image that Christ intended. So, a worldview is important because, guess what? Everyone has one, whether you know it or not. Whether it's conscious or unconscious, every person has some type of worldview. A personal worldview is a combination of all you believe to be true and is the driving force behind every emotion, decision, and action you make. There are things that my big mama said to me that I thought was out of the Bible. <laughs> and then I discovered that it wasn't in Scripture. It was just stuff she believed. Don't walk past one of those after six. What, 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 six? What's, what's special about six? Like six o'clock. Anybody, don't let a black cat walk across your path. We got crazy. Oh, the black cat. Things that you just say, hey, I, I don't. But it's a part of what shaped my understanding. In the same way, whether conscious or unconscious, you have a worldview. Because we all have one, it affects your response to every area in your life. From when you hear a certain philosophy shared, when you hear about a new discovery in science, when you're online and someone's teaching something that is some kind of theology that you're not familiar with, but you think it might be true or anthropology when you hear some new discovery that's happened and even your economics, how you treat money. Growing up, man, if a credit card showed up, <laughs> thanks be to God <laughs> who always calls us to triumph in his name, we can go shopping. But how are we going to pay that back? And even in terms of how you view laws, it shapes your politics, and it even shapes how you understand social order. So every one of us has a worldview. So there's three questions that every worldview will at least answer. There are more than these three, but I just want to focus on these three because I want to show you that these three are common whether it's Christian or non-Christian. So any worldview is going to answer these three questions. Where did we come from? And or why, we, why are we here? It's going to answer what's wrong with the world? And then it's going to answer how do we fix it? 
every non, whether Christian or non-Christian is going to answer. There are others, and we're going to cover some of the other questions that a worldview answers in weeks to come. But for today, we're going to focus on these three. Because what I want to do is I want to then juxtapose these questions, the answers to these questions, and I want to introduce to you some answers that are, that are prevalent today to these three questions. Naturalism is, one, is a very prevalent philosophical and in some cases theological approach to understanding the world. Naturalism is, but here's how the naturalist responds to these three questions. So the first question of how do we get here? We are products of random acts of nature rather than the intelligent design of God. So how do we get here? Random acts of nature rather than God. See, out of this idea of naturalism becomes, you, comes terms like karma. Any, any, any Christian karma folk in here? You do know that karma is not biblical. It comes from a pagan religion that suggests that all the activities, as we just said, all the natural activities of what's going on in the world will then come against you if you got negative karma or bad karma rather than a God who says, hey, you shall reap what you sow. The next question, how do we, what are we supposed to do while we're here? The naturalist responds to that question by saying, if we respected nature more, we could begin to fix what's wrong in the world. If we just had a better sense of our responsibility to nature because that responsibleness would then carry over to how we treated others. If we treated the environment right, we would treat other people right because we're all joined in this inhabitation of the world. The third question is answered this way. We can save the world through ecology and more responsible actions rather than there's a God who has a plan who sent his son into the world to save the world. We just celebrated his body being broken and his blood being shed that he might introduce God's plan of saving the world. So it's important, so you may say, well, Pastor Martin, why did you start with naturalism? And I, I love nature, so why are you picking on me? Naturalism is a worldview that either flows out of or garners support of some other isms. Here are some philosophies that either flow out of naturalism or are supported by naturalism. Humanism. Moral relativism. That morality is relative. Existentialism. May be true for you, but it ain't true for. And then finally, pragmatism. I can only understand it, I can only accept it if it's practical or if I can prove it. But see, that works against the entire foundation of walking with fellowship with God because it's all based upon faith in the Lord Jesus. 
You can't go back and try to prove whether he rose from the dead. You got to believe he did. You can't go back and try to prove whether he was just a carpenter from Nazareth or was he truly the son of God. You must by faith believe it. So when I'm pragmatic in my approach to the world, then I say, hey, that don't seem to make sense to me. Well, then let me, let me give you something else that don't make sense. And I said this last week, because how do you take a dirty soul, wash it in red blood, and it comes out white as snow? That ain't going to make sense no day of the week. But every day of the week, it's true. Because that's what Jesus does. He takes the ugliness of who we are, dips us in his blood, and we come out, we become sons and daughters of God. All right, let's get going because I only have a few more minutes left. I told you it's too much text, to, too much to handle in the 30 minutes I have. So we're going to pick it up, okay? I promise you we're going we're to cover it all. I want to do this because I, I, I gave you four different isms, and I want to give you a definition for what those are. Now, what's going to come up on the screen is going to be a, a shortened version, but I'm going to read the whole version. First, humanism. It's a system of thought based around prime importance of humanity. Remember I said that the two-year-old, the whole world revolves around him? Humanity rather than the divine or supernatural matters. Humans believe and they stress the potential value and the goodness of human beings. The Humanist Manifesto states, and to sum it up, it states that I can be good or we can be good without God. Humanism. The Humanist Manifesto was written over 40 years ago, updated some time after with a second version of it or an expanded version. But this idea that, hey, I don't need God, I don't need religion, I'm just spiritual. Humanists seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. The next one is moral relativism. That morality is relative to the person. Here's the definition. There, now, this is, there's just not one philosophy that falls under this. There's several. And it's the position to concern with the difference between how moral judgment differs based upon a group of people and their cultural context. So this idea, so you now understand that the question that was asked in the survey about is there absolute morality taught in the scripture? So this idea of it's relative, it's, it may be true for you, but it ain't true for me. Here's another one. Existentialism. It, the definition here is it's a philosophy or a system of beliefs that each person is responsible for creating purpose or meaning in his or her own life. Individual purpose and meaning is not given or found in God's government, teachers, other authorities. So we just dealt with that a few weeks ago because here's what, what Paul says about all things in the earth were made by Jesus and made for him, which means that all things find their purpose in him. But if we're thinking that we can just find purpose through our own initiative, 
then we don't understand what the Bible tells us. And then pragmatism, being pragmatic about your approach. An approach that, ex that assesses the truth of many of theories or any belief in terms of the success of their practical application. I can only believe it if I can prove it. I, I, I was flying back um, from an interview in New Hampshire. I sit down, I sat down in my, in my seat, I was absolutely tired, and I'm sitting there, and the gentleman next to me, he says, hey, I noticed that you, uh, you prayed. I said, yeah. He says, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm an atheist, but my wife is a Christian. And I really enjoy talking to Christians about these things. I said, okay, oh boy. He said, I'm a scientist. I'm a scientist. I said, oh boy, okay. He was Dr. Somebody. So he started to tell me that he enjoys these exercises because not only was his wife a Christian, but his friend, who was her pastor, was his, was his friend, was, was, was a pastor, and he would ask certain questions. He liked to watch them turn red in the face as they would get upset with him. As I sat there, Brother Glenn, and I was listening to him and all his arguments he made, I said, listen, sir, I said, no, I'm going to tell you this. What I do know is that you are probably much more intelligent than I am. You've got several degrees, and you've got all this information that you have. I said, but when, you, when it comes to Jesus, let me just stand up and testify. I said, one day, I heard about him, and I accepted him as my Lord and, I, and my Savior. And what happened to me that day, it was like he rose up in me. And since that day until this day, I have never been the same. I said, I can't answer all your questions, but what I can answer is one question, and that's that I know Jesus, and he knows me. And I said, now with that, I'm tired, I'm going to go to sleep. I thought I'd have offended him when I said that, Brother Adrian, but then as the flight 20 minutes later, I, he had talked to me all that time. He says, uh, they're getting ready to land. I said, oh, boy. He says, you know, I've done that to many Christians, and each one of them gets upset. But it surprises me that you didn't get upset and that you took time to keep talking with me. Can I get your email and your phone number? Now, he never called me, and he never emailed me. But I knew that that moment, something was different because here's what you are called to be. The Bible says that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. All you are called to do is be a first-hand eyewitness of what the power of God can do in your life and tell it to somebody. You don't have to answer all the questions. Just answer one. Is Jesus real? Yes, he is. He's real in my soul. Yeah. Guys, listen, I'm, I'm out of time. and I, I'm, that, that was just question one. <laughs> I only have three of them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rush to an end and we'll pick this up because I told you I believe four weeks, but it may be a little bit longer than that because I want to make sure to take time and share these things with you because I don't want to give you philosophy and ideas without giving you word. Amen. That's the most important part. How do we develop this idea of biblical worldview? The next question is, what is a biblical worldview? And we'll get into that. We'll get into it now. I'll take a few extra minutes. Y'all give me a few minutes, please. Yes.
just because I've, I spent so much time establishing worldview, I need to make sure I give you time and understanding. Take some time to make sure you understand what a biblical worldview is. Here's what we understand it to be. Look at verse 6 and 7. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Here's what it says. As you therefore have received Christ, Je Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Remember we said that the biblical worldview, it, it informs all that you believe and think and do and how you react to things. He says, as you have now accepted Jesus, walk in him. Make sure he has access to every part of who you are. That's what walk in him means. Then he says, be rooted and built up in him. The stuff that I told you, Big Mama told me that I had to realize, you know, I, I'll never forget this. They told, and I, and I was intelligent enough, I knew that, that R-O-O-T spells root. But they said root beer. It's a root beer. So I'm at school, and you know, we're, we're, we're sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the commons, and somebody says, you want somebody? I said, yeah, bring me a root beer. The whole table fell out. I said, what's wrong with y'all? What is wrong with y'all? What's so funny? You said, you said root beer. Like, it is root. It is root beer. <laughs> root. So he says, be rooted and built up in him. Here it is now. Established in faith. That's your biblical worldview. Yeah. That your faith informs all that you are. And that you establish enough in your faith that your faith can inform all that you do. Then he goes on to say, as you've been taught abounding in it, with thanksgiving, being proud of it. So I got a biblical worldview and I'm glad about it. So here's a few things to note. A biblical worldview is based upon the infallibleness of the Word of God. You got to accept that God's Word is true. You got to start with that. You may have questions about things. Oh, I don't know how this works out. I don't know all, I don't understand all the theology there. But, but, but the key is you got to start with accepting that this is God's Word. It is rooted in the belief, a biblical worldview, worldview is rooted in the belief that the Bible is entirely true and that it is the foundation of everything we believe and say and do. You don't understand everything because I don't understand, even as, as, a, as a pastor who's been theologically taught, I don't understand Romans chapter 8 and 28. I told you it's one of the hardest texts to really understand and to accept. And we know that all things work together for good. I don't understand how God gets good out of the stuff that I've been through. But I accept it, and that gives me hope when I'm going through. I've been through some times where it was dark for me, and I didn't understand how it was going to come out, but it was my hope and my confidence that said, God, you promised that if I have some bad things, even those things are all in all. Those bad things are included in all things. So if all things in all bad or good work together for good in you. But here was the key because we quote that for everybody. But it don't apply to everybody. You got to finish the text out. I know that we can shout on that. We, we shout, no, all things work together for good. Who is working together for good? But the end of the text says, to them who love God. 
to them who are called according to his purpose is to save people. Not for everybody. All things work together for save folk. But then you might not believe that. You might say, well, I don't believe that, Pastor. I don't believe it work out for anybody. God is love. But you can't deny his word with your own philosophy. Let me move on. Biblical worldview is a comprehensive view of the world based upon the Bible being infallible and that the teachings thereof are intended to affect every area of our life, from our money to morality, from politics to art, that ultimately all of these things are informed according to and based upon the Word of God. Let me say this and then I'll close for today and we'll pick it up again. The most important thing of, of any worldview, the most important element of any worldview will be how it answers the questions about God. Because if your worldview does not include God, then your worldview does not include salvation. If your worldview does not include God, then it doesn't include there's a heaven and there's a hell. If your worldview does not understand that God did not make hell for man, because he never intended for man to sin. It was man's own will that disobeyed God. He didn't have plans. He knew, but he didn't have plans for that. So we understand. Now we begin to understand how do we answer these very pressing questions about what do we do? Because if your philosophy and your worldview says, hey, don't worry about all that other stuff. Let's just live your best life because you only get one. Be all you can be and die because when you're dead, you are done. But the Bible says that when you die after death, there's judgment. So who's going to be the judge? Well, the one who created it all. Here's what the word says. Let me give you something real quick, some, 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 some scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3 says, and God said, let there be, and then it says, and it was. God created by God saying. Okay, it goes on because then you got to try to figure out, well, how does Jesus fit in the plan? Well, he's in there too. You got to go down to verse 26 because it says, then God said, let us make man and let us make man in our image in our likeness wait a minute what about the earth and let man have dominion over the earth over the fish of the sea and the birds of all the earth and over all the earth the plan of God is that man reigns over earth okay well then that just says us but then you got to jump over to the New Testament because pastor that's Genesis but 
What does the Bible say about it in the New Testament? We're the New Testament church. Okay, you go to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Remember I told you God said and it was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's verse 1. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning. Wait a minute, there's a he there with God. He was in the beginning with him. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we, here we, here we, here we go. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Who is the he? That's Jesus. You don't know who that is? Go down to verse 14. Verse 14 says it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the son of God. Now you got your question answered about who God is. He was the word. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him as the son of Almighty God. What's his name? His name is Jesus. So, it's, it's needed and essential to have a biblical worldview. That concludes our message for today. And we want to thank you for listening to the Amity Bible Church. If you would like to contact us or attend our 630 Wednesday night Bible study, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.